Welcome to the GoTo Podcast. In this episode, Nicholas Frankel talks about the dark side of Java security and how the Java ecosystem has changed over the years. GoTo gathers the brightest minds in the software community to help developers tackle projects today, plan for tomorrow, and create for a better future. Stay up to date with the latest in tech through GoTo's top-rated events held online and in person in cities like Chicago, Amsterdam, London, and Copenhagen, and by subscribing to the GoTo Conference's YouTube channel, where you can find thousands more high-quality dev talks. Learn more at gotopia.tech. Thanks for joining us today, Nicolas Frankel. You have more than you have more than twenty years Java experience. Last time I saw you live on stage, you presented yourself as a security-minded developer, mm -hmm. which I like, which I like very much. Um, and I consider I definitely consider you a Java expert with all that uh, experience you have with the VM. One of the things you demonstrated in that presentation was how you can change the type of the class in Java. What, what is that about? So we learned, like at least I learned, and probably most of you learned, um, that Java is a strongly typed language, a statically typed language. So when you declare a variable, it's it's an int, it's a class of whatever, it's a person, it's a double, it's whatever you want. And then this type uh, is like written into the bytecode. And, and well, that's how you can reason about your, your, your code is that once the type is set, then you can use it. If you handle a person with attributes, first name, last name, and you've got an instance of type person, you can query, hey, what is your first name? What is your last name? And at the time, it was possible through introspection, through reflection, so through a Java API, to change the type of a class at runtime. I did, uh, I, I redid re the talk recently. It's not possible anymore in more recent GDKs. So I think it was, it's still possible up to 10. Then in 11, you've got a warning. And I think it's 15. Uh, there is an exception. You, you cannot do it anymore. Um, the, the details are no, not in my head anymore, but yeah. So they fixed it finally, but uh, at the time it was very funny that yeah we 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 say that yeah Java is strong statically typed, uh, Groovy is good, but you know it's dynamically typed. You can do bad stuff where you can you could do the same stuff in Java. So they fixed it, but I guess there's still a lot of legacy systems out there running the old Java, and there was even another thing that scared me even more. And that was, you showed how you can, on a running production system, you can actually change the bytecode to make it do uh, whatever you feel it should do. But in a way, so if you restart the system, all traces would be gone. 
Yeah, that's the the hacker's dream. So yeah, yes, you can, you can yeah. yeah. You you can actually do that. Yeah, you 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 need another GVM that will attach itself to the first one and inject bytecodes into this first one and or change the backed codes. And yeah, you, you can do pretty bad stuff. You can do pretty good stuff, but it's like everything. You you have a lot of freedom on the GVM. The GVM pro- provides you with so many stuff that it's easy um, to like misuse it. So on one side, you can use it to like continuously deliver uh, bytecode to your production system, meaning that your your system never goes down. I, I have uh, a talk about that. You 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 stream the bytecode directly when there is a change on, let's say, your computer. You can directly stream it to the production system with no downtime. Right? It's just a prototype. Um, but of course, if you are a hacker, you can use the same system to do. Like, let's say to get money on like one penny on every transaction or like record the passwords or do bad stuff. Is that something that was possible with the old version too, but which has been fixed now as with the first example? It's it's still possible. The, the changing of the type is now impossible, but the attached API is, is still possible. The, that's, that's the problem of uh, the GVM that you have like a platform that allows you to do a lot of things. And in most cases, you only need to do like a slide of it. Like most application, they don't need to do that, but the GVM provides it anyway. Should I be scared? <laughs> well, you should. Uh, you have seen my talk. That, that was the conclusion of my talk was, um, you can forget everything that I told you so far and life won't have changed for you. Or you can start thinking that perhaps there is something missing in your setup. And that problem is security. You have this huge platform. You need only a slice. So the rest is just additional attack surface that hackers can use to recover with the system. And I've shown the way to do it at the time, and it was the security manager. And security manager is also like, of course, very old. It started with the applets. So the, the idea was at the time you had a GVM and you could run untrusted code on your, on your, on your computer from the internet. And we should provide a sandbox. We should provide stuff that we allows this untrusted code to do and like permissions to execute some stuff that we allow it to do and like not no permission because we don't want perhaps to read our file system or to access our webcam or to anything. It, it was a permission system. And The problem is that people still think that the security manager is about running untrusted code, but untrusted code is just code that you download from the internet. The problem is untrusted code nowadays is every library that you're using. Every dependency that you are using is basically untrusted code. The only way to trust this code is to audit it. 
And I believe that most companies, they don't audit the codes they are using. They don't audit the dependencies. Did anybody ever audit, I don't know, Log4j, SLF4j, like simple, stupid libraries that everybody is using? I believe not. But even if you did, even if you audit the codes, what makes you think that the codes, the source code that you audited, is actually translated into the exact same binary that you are using. The only way to do that would be to not only audit the code, but to, to build it yourself. Then you can be sure that the binary, binary does mirror the source code. I believe nobody has the resources or the willing to do that. So we are trusting. Of course, there are certificates sometimes, but I don't know if a lot of companies, they are checking the certificates and you can tell them, ah, that could never happen. Well, it happened in the NPM ecosystem. There was this oh, anecdote. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there was this uh, library. I don't remember the name, but the maintainer of the library, it was a very, very well-used library. and. He told, hey, folks, now I have other stuff to do. Who wants to maintain the library now? And somebody steps, stepped in. And after a few versions, they realized that uh, there was a backdoor into this library and they were mining cryptocurrencies. They were using your computer power to mine cryptocurrencies. And of course, you can say, oh, it can only happen in, in, in the NPM ecosystem. Because it's just bad. Well, the, the Maven ecosystem is that case just as bad. You are, I mean, Maven or Gradle or whatever, at least the repositories, they are just repository. You can publish it. You can publish your own stuff and anybody can use it. So I, I'm always using the, this like example. Imagine you create a library that is really, really useful and, and People start using it, and at some point, you introduce additional capabilities. For example, like steganographic capabilities, ability to read uh, like bytecodes in an image. So you would hide a bytecode in an image or just source code, even source code in an image, and then you would be able to compile it on the fly when the image is read and then execute the code, and everything is possible. So this whole untrusted codes uh, myth is is very like strange that hey I mean untrusted code is just applets no so some architectures rely on plugin but even deeper dependency for me is untrusted code yeah and it's like in the Maven universe does anyone know how many versions of commons logging you're actually including in your project that's a good question I, I remember when I was still a consultant at at some point. I, uh, in one of the, the, the projects I was an architect of, I started to check the war and all the, the libraries that were included in the war in one of my projects. And it took me half a day to, I, I, I think I cut the libraries, uh, in half because there were a lot of useless dependencies, redundancy, so dependencies in multiple versions and, and stuff like that. So if you 
are really willing to do that, it's possible. But even if you restrict the number of libraries, which of course you should do, then again, how do you trust those libraries? Because with transitive dependencies in, in the GVM ecosystem, which are much better than in NPM, where you are right pad and left pad, um, I think we are much more sane. Um, that's still a lot of libraries for a simple application, like a simple spring application, 30, 30 dependencies, 40s, 50s. It's very easy. Some of them are small. Some of them are just configurations. Some of them actually contain bytecodes. What do you do? And so I mentioned the fact that you would run into a sandbox and this sandbox was, was defined by a policy file and then you would enable the security manager on the GVM and this security manager by default would read this policy file and then you would only allow some or let's say some of the capabilities that you're really, really willing to allow. Like if you have a web application, probably you want to open ports, which is good. You want to, to, to be able to listen to some ports, but um, why should you be able to access the whole file system? Probably you should restrict the file system to the stuff that you really, really want to. Like the temporary folder is generally a good default because you do a lot of stuff. Um, then you should disable compilation, a lot of things like that. Yeah, this is about the VM. So it's not even a Java issue. Is that correct? So all these other languages like Kotlin, JRuby, back in the times, uh, Clojure, whatever. Yeah, the security manager is, is, uh, is congruent with the GVM. So you can run any, any language because in the end, you don't care about the language. You are running bytecodes. Yeah. And, and, and Kotlin bytecode can as much access the file system as Java bytecode because in the end, it's the same GVM API that you are using or Clojure or whatever. So it's a very dark picture we are painting here of the, of the VM. What can we do? Well, one way would have been to improve the security manager because let's face it, uh, creating a policy file was no work in the park. Um, you want to apply the least privilege principle. So you, you, you should start from a blank policy file and add permissions. And for non, I mean, in, in the presentation, it was just a pet clinic. I think that the policy file was 400 lines long. And, and this should be done when you create the application, when you update the libraries, when uh, you remove libraries, when you add libraries, whenever you change the application. So th this is really a, a huge downside. And I believe that's one of the reasons that I uh, rarely saw the security manager used. But the Oracle answer to that was, oh, it's too complicated. Let's remove it. Well, we don't care about that anymore. You know, the, the security, uh, you, you should do your own security. It's not good enough. So let's remove everything and do your own stuff. That's an interesting point of view. And that's I'm an interesting approach. Yes. <laughs> yes. Uh, and we were a couple of people saying, hey, perhaps uh, <laughs> it's not that great. Uh, but um, how, how can I put it? Let's say that um, the, the team was not really interested about feedback. Um, basically, they told, hey, it will be like this. 
Um, and the only thing that we could achieve was that now in Java 17, it's deprecated and there is a warning, but it still works. But if you are relying on the security manager, for example, Elasticsearch is relying on the security manager because they have a plugin architecture. Well, they should be very afraid because there is nothing else to replace what they had. I would like to leave a little light in the dark here. Well, I'm French, so I'm not sure I'm the right person to ask. Like, uh, we are pretty gloomy and we are complaining all the time. Um, the only alternative that I have is just stay on Java 17, which is, well, honestly, for most companies, if they, <laughs> I believe they are, at most are Java 11. So for most companies, it's not an issue. Um, but uh, for, uh, for, for companies who like, which are actually using the security manager, it's going to be an issue at some point. Yes. It sounds so. Sorry, no light at the end of the tunnel. Um, <laughs> I would, I would wish to, to finish on a slightly more positive note. But actually, it's really hard for me to find anything good about this whole stuff. Um, and it's not only about the security manager. Um, it's about the approach that Oracle is taking regarding the feedback. Um, uh, it seems that it, they are not really community-oriented anymore, if they ever were. And I'm a bit afraid, honestly, about the future of, if not to GVM, at least Java. But back in the days, there used to be the JCP work, yes, which was very much community-driven. Does that still exist? Uh, I'm not sure. Um, and I never was port in the JCP. But for example, it's, it's probably, it's a side effect, but the Twitter account of Java before uh, retweeted a lot of stuff from the community. Like it, like my own article, sometimes they got promoted by Java when I, I, I wrote about Java. Um, but nowadays, nothing comes from the community anymore. It's only about that they hired developer advocates and they are really good people. I mean, Nikolai, Jose and David are, I mean, I consider them good people, even friends. Um, but it's really like now it's it's really like on the rails and nothing nothing should like switch or go sideways it's very very like centralized and i feel it really that it's really sad really um now as a developer now i i mean again i've two decades of experience i i'm learning I'm learning Rust. I threw myself into Kotlin already a couple of years ago. So I can say I don't care about Java anymore. I can do my stuff. But for, for young junior developers, I'm not sure it's really a great idea. It's not a good signal. This is the problem that Java has turned into a universe that it wasn't meant to be when it was first introduced many, many, many years ago. Yeah, we, we, we can talk a long time about that. But I believe, um, I worked as a consultant for a long time, and I believe that Java was successful compared to Scala, for example, because it was very, very stable. You could 
run your old Java 1.0 application on Java 1.5, Java 8. For companies, that's the most important stuff. Stability. You want stability at all costs because you don't want to rewrite your application every time you've got a new version. Again, compared to Scala. Um, and now Java has got a huge critical mass. And the strategy has changed a lot. Now they are deprecating stuff. And at first I was happy because some stuff that is deprecated is really like craft, which is good to deprecate. But now they deprecate stuff that actually can be and is really useful and has no other alternative. Worse, the, the, the release cadence is crazy. I don't know any company that can get to speed to this release cadence. It's impossible. So unless you, you are huge enough and you are IT focused, well, you can probably keep up with the cadence, but otherwise you are doomed. I know, I mean, I'm, I'm close to Switzerland. I think they just recently upgraded to Java 8. Java Amazing. 8. Yeah. yeah, for God's sake. Um, of course, it's, I mean, administration is not known for being really like, like moving forward very fast. Uh, but I believe they are more representative of the, the whole industry than companies that can keep the pace with the six-month cadence. So they are releasing very, very fast and deprecating faster and faster. And so I believe that it's going to be a bigger problem with each release that it will fragment the ecosystem. I mean, we already saw it with the module system. Uh, two years ago, I think I did uh, like an analysis. I took one of uh, like 20 of the most used libraries and check whether they were compatible with the module system. And I, I mean, not modules themselves, but just auto modules, meaning you just need to add an additional like line into your meta inf manifest.mf. One line that doesn't change anything. Half of them were not compatible. And so if you want to use modules in your application, then that means that your libraries need to be at least compatible. If they are not compatible, I wrote an article about it. It's a mess. So we saw this great divide, like companies being afraid to move beyond Java 8 because of the modules. And now it's getting faster and faster. Um, so honestly, I, yeah, okay. Again, I'm French. I'm complaining all the time. I'm also pessimistic, but I believe that in that case, it's, it, it's not a great, it's not a great move. I understand, um, that for some people, the most tech oriented one, it's good to have like faster release cadence, but. Before it was every four or five years. Now it's every six months. Perhaps there is like a good middle ground. Um, because I think we, we, we switched to the other, to the other extreme and it's going to be hard. But let's see. Perhaps I'm completely wrong. 
But that leads me back to the same question again, because back in the days we had we had Java two standard edition. I guess Java one never even existed. We had DA two SE for like applications, and then we had the EE edition. The DA two EE, if you wanted to go big, big scale, and the idea was that everything was in a controlled environment that the server would set up everything for you. So that leads me back to the question, has Java become something now that it wasn't intended to be back then? Is that the problem? I cannot answer that question because uh, I started using Java, it was 1.3 for a couple of months, then it was 1.4. So at the time, I, I didn't think a lot about uh, what was the point of Java or whatever. I was just happy to learn the API. <laughs> um, the good thing is um, during those two decades, uh, I've, seen, uh, I've, I've read a lot of, of blog posts about Java is dead. Yeah. And um, of course, I found always them very funny because Java is definitely not dead. Um, but this current like speed of release might be an like an impediment uh, for Java adoption, or at least it will definitely fragment the ecosystem. So I know that hey, starting from Java nine, you can have jar that is multi-released that you can have like dedicated classes for Java for each Java version. Uh, it just shifts the burden to the library maintainers. Yeah. Yes. Um, so again, I'm not super optimistic for the future. That was a wonderful way to end this conversation. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> now I will receive a lot of hate mail from all Java developers from Oracle, yeah. but that's fine. Thanks for listening to this episode of the GoTo Podcast. Head over to gotopia.tech for lots more content from the brightest minds in software development.